Hello and welcome to Burst the Bubble. You're listening to 97.2 Cam FM. Uh, I'm Chris Moten and with me this week is my guest, John Nelson. Hello again. Hello. Now, uh, this is the show all about the uh, the sillier news stories uh, that have uh, gone on uh, in the in the past week uh, and the and the attempts to extract mirth thereof. Uh, so let's have a go at that. Uh, John, what's our first story this week? Oh, so, well... For those who uh, have listened to the show before, you'll notice know that we tend to do little threads going through for each of our sections, and our first thread is going to be uh, on animals and history and the links therein. So our first one is about historical animals, but they're historical animals that you might know a bit better, uh, fairly well. They're pandas. Um, however, whereas we tend to think of pandas being sort of lovable animals that you see on, you know, maybe doing kung fu or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's strictly speaking only in... They're never both those things at the same time. They're either being lovable or they're doing kung fu. <laughs> well, you can have lovable kung fu. Can <laughs> you? Um, <laughs> I think only if you weren't good at it. I don't know. If, if, yeah, if you're sort of not that good at it, then maybe you end up just cuddling people rather than sort of, like, grappling with them or something. Yeah, because other- otherwise if it's, you know, like, kung fu, kung fu, and you're like, oh, it's trying to do kung fu, and then it's like, whack, and there's, like, heads flying around, and then you're like, that's not so adorable anymore. But yes. Anyway, so may- maybe maybe uh, it was it was down to this threat that pandas uh, that that man used to face from pandas. Um, but apparently, uh, new research has been showed that um, pandas were in fact a foodstuff for pe- prehistoric man. Yes, apparently so. Uh, I believe the evidence uh, that uh, they were eaten by prehistoric man uh, is that they found panda fossils which they allege to have been slashed to death now presumably the signs of having been slashed to death are kind of just like you know there'll be scores and things like that scores panda <laughs> nil human <laughs> one <laughs> they all go that way it's, it's an accumulator uh, <laughs> it's an accumulator pandas three humans 2721 yeah and the the away leg is played at the panda's home ground so that's well, like, China. Yeah, well, or atop a forest of bamboo. I think typically these are all in China. Um, <laughs> it's certainly, certainly the scientists are in China. The pictures of pandas we've got here are in China. Um, it says that they think they're eaten in southwest China. I'm pretty sure they didn't ever have a home leg for the, for the Europeans, where they sort of drag some pandas over, who are then disorientated and confused, who are then attempt to presumably to do kung fu on, <laughs> uh, on, on what they assume to be the hapless Europeans. But they were, because it was probably, you know, icy at this particular point or something, they'd all just slip on the ice and fall over. I don't think that happened, is this, for the record. This is your history of European martial arts, that it was too slippery to do anything even vaguely elegant. So we developed a fighting style that surrounds mainly headbutting things. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that, that, that's why you sort of, we're used to picking up jaggedy objects like bar brawls, where you have a bottle or something, like you try and brawl with a bottle. That's just brawling with bits of ice, basically. It's the same kind of thing. Before we had glass, we had ice. Think, think <laughs> all, of the Euro- daggers. <laughs> all of the European fighting techniques pretty much involve some kind of ice substitute. Yeah, yeah, okay. So <laughs> Correct <laughs> I, me if I'm my, wrong. My, my first thought there was like a dashing Frenchman's fencing. And it's, you know, <laughs> maybe they could do that on ice. Maybe you could have figure skating fencing. I'd watch figure skating fencing. I'm presuming dashing you meant in a sort of like, you know, very suave kind of way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rather than running headlong, because obviously that doesn't happen when you're fencing, because you've been fencing on ice. And if you try dashing when you're on ice, you just slip over. (laughs) Indeed, yes, yes, which is is why you need to combine the sports. I, I think most winter sports would benefit from the addition of an epee. (laughs) <laughs> the, the bobsleigh, for example. I mean, it's it's mainly an ornament in the case of the bobsleigh. That that that's really just a sort of a. Uh, it's less like a hood ornament for, for a bobsleigh. 
Well, yeah, so I think we're getting dangerously close into the sort of, like, skewering people at the front uh, <laughs> aspect here, sort of like bobsleigh jousting. Um, whilst, whilst on the face of it, it might seem like a cracking idea where you've got you, two you bobsleighs, presumably, uh, like, basically just going into a valley or something. I, I was gonna, you don't want to be the bobsleigh that's fencing uphill. Yeah, <laughs> just a bunch of guys pushing it very slowly, whilst there's another one coming in the other direction. May, maybe only you guys get the epe, and the one that's going downhill doesn't. And that you know, that kind of balances the contest. Then that, that's just <laughs> hurtling headlong into a spike. Yeah. That seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> anyway, I feel like we have digressed from the point. We, we somewhat digressed, yes, because the, uh, the the story is essentially uh, that 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 people went, huh? They're big and lumbering and harmless and tasty. That is the perfect combination, uh, and and took full advantage. Yes, well, so so their evidence is in fact that they they did they were they've got evidence that humans used to kill them. They obviously don't have evidence that they used to eat them because you know there's no sort of records uh, scratched upon paintings or like had panda soup today, <laughs> very tasty. <laughs> we'll try again. Heston Blumen Arg. Um, <laughs> that's how names worked. <laughs> so they were as complex as modern names that ended in Arg. <laughs> Pretty much, we had Gordon Rams Arg, <laughs> who. Uh, who used to swear quite a lot, pretty much. Engelbert Humber. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you've got the idea now. We don't really need to uh, enumerate all famous people. No. <laughs> that could just take up the entire show. That's Plus. a fair point. Let's not do that. Let's yeah. instead talk about our second story. Okay. So our second story is a slightly different intersection of uh, animals with history. So instead of talking about historical animals, we're talking about present animals, but doing history. Yeah. So how does a present animal do history, you may ask? Well... Uh, in this case, it's sort of in a sort of slightly lassie style way, but with a cat rather than a dog. So this this, this is a story that in Rome, um, there are a couple of people uh, following a cat, basically, and the cat disappeared into the ground and started meowing at them in a kind of like come hither kind of way. Come hither? No, that's really not what I wanted to say, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, in the nicest possible way, the cat was saying, "Come here, <laughs> come here, see what I found." You seem like the type of creature that possesses pouches of tasty meats <laughs> yes so um anyway so they followed this cat and it led underneath the city into a 2000 year old catacomb um quite appropriate name appropriately named because of the mm-hmm. it would have just been a tomb but because the cat found it it's now a catacomb this is exactly how catacombs are named just in case you ever wondered what the distinction was um basically cats live in catacombs <laughs> indeed uh apparently romans uh, as in not ancient romans but modern romans people who live in rome find it enormously frustrating that their city is riddled with these ancient ruins uh well in some cases not even ruins just a sort of well-preserved ancient city uh, that has long since been built over uh, uh, and they they spend a lot of their time uh, having to work their way around these sort of the endless archaeologists that are picking away at the un- the lower level of the city. Uh, apparently, one of the examples is the rugby ground uh, has a necropolis uh, that is built underneath it, which which is a, you know it's a peculiar thing to happen. That because I mean you if if because a necropolis I mean that that's basically a large grave site. Yeah. And obviously, if you were to say, how about that graveyard, I reckon we should tarmac over that and play tennis, somebody would say, no, because of all the dead people. Stop doing that, you monster. <laughs> so, there has, you know, <laughs> what amount of time... Oh, so certainly they wouldn't be saying, do it, stop that, you monster. I mean, if we've learned anything from people being, things being buried over ancient Indian burial grounds, it's because precisely you're worried about monsters that might possibly occur. True, yes. But yes, for both of them, both for the moral abhorrence and the risk of zombie attack. Yes, exactly. But Although, in fairness, I think if there was a zombie attack, I'd want everything tarmacked over first, because that would make it much harder for the zombies. 
<laughs> I mean, like, if the zombies are going to attack anyway, you don't want some nice luscious earth that they're just going to, you know, crawl out of. You want them to be crawling up and find some tarmac and go, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> It's quite a temporary solution, though. I mean, it's not going to kill them, because that's the nature of zombies. So what you'll have there is zombies that are very much like earthworms. You know, they're kind of buried about 12 feet or so in the ground, and when it rains, the zombies sort of go, I bet there's brains up there. And, you know, people who work in mines will forever be mining away and then a zombie will come through the walls and they'll be like oh no, again get the pickaxe we don't use a pickaxe for anything else in modern mining but we keep it for the zombies I think this is where the earthworm analogy falls down and I'm pretty sure that no miner has ever gone oh no an earthworm pickaxe time <laughs> small small I can't get it maybe um, if it was like dune then they'd be doing that but yeah <laughs> we, thankfully we've yet to encounter the sandworm yes that is true um but then anyway. again, we're also yet to encounter zombies, for that matter. <laughs> so I think a lot of this is based upon hypothetical <laughs> situation. Regressing to the first tangent, briefly. Uh, the, so the point is that uh, there's this big old necropolis which is built underneath their, their rugby ground. Um, which strikes me, that's got to be not a very good foundation. You know, like a Roman building. Like, it's noteworthy that not, not many modern architects sort of go, so you want to build a stadium, eh? Better stick a necropolis under that for stability. So you, you've got to worry. I think it's a lot more effort to stick a necropolis underneath something. <laughs> I mean, like, you could... You'd you have could, to kill a lot of people. You could build a shell or something which looks like a necropolis rather than actually building a necropolis. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if building was kind of a lost art. I'm nobody, afraid that's going to take you several thousand years because we need to uh, build and fill a necropolis before you can have your rugby ground. Yeah, Exactly. It'd be like nobody actually knows how building works. All they know is that if you build it on an operating necropolis, it works. And we're not willing to exper- experiment with anything else because it might not work and that would be horrible. <laughs> either, either way, I, I'm imagining this rugby ground. Like, you know in um, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, uh, when I think it's an American football pitch uh, and, uh, and, uh, oh, and, yes. and the one with the breathing machine that is called Bane uh, does some naughty things. And the whole pitch, No spoilers. We don't whole, believe in spoilers <laughs> here. There is a football pitch in Dark Dark Knight Rises, and there's a man with a mask. Yeah, and he does and, a naughty thing, and, and the whole pitch kind of gives away beneath them. And I can't imagine that happening halfway through a rugby game, except for at least if it did happen, you'd end up in a necropolis, which is the right place when you've just fallen through a rugby ground. <laughs> so, you know. Maybe this is why they felt that everything had to be built on the necropolis, just in <laughs> case the earth gave way at any point. <laughs> it's just saving time, really. <laughs> it's just a big exercise in efficiency. <laughs> they got the same rules for, like, long-distance flying. It's like, you know, you can fly as far as you want, regardless of the sort of reliability of the engines of your aircraft, uh, as long as you only fly above grave sites, so that there's no requirement to clear up, uh, should it all go wrong. Hmm. Well, that's just maybe. Anyway, the point is that a cat wandered into such things. <laughs> I, I like, I, the original story was that a cat wandered into some catacombs and thus we found some more ruins. Uh, I, I, it sounded a bit like the people who said they were following the cat were kind of writing themselves a cover story, though. I mean, like, they described the incident as being that they were fending off a wayward cat and then decided to keep on following it, which is, I mean, like, were they planning to eat it? Or it, it, it doesn't sound like a thing you'd do. It would be like, there's a pesky cat, I'm going to stalk it, I'm going to find out where it lives. 
well you know maybe they just thought it looked inviting and tasty or something <laughs> I mean, <it's> all <laughs> remarkably the, like a panda yeah for for people for those of you at home um don't eat pandas they are now an endangered species and the wwf will come <laughs> down to your door and they will beat you around the head to death with a cucumber um <laughs> <laughs> which takes a long time it does you take a long place the cucumber quite a few times it, it's it's a very dull way to die <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the endangerment is its own uh solution uh, in the sense that it's very hard to find a panda that you wish to eat. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they've got this all worked out, really, haven't they? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's, let, let's be few in number. And in the meantime, they're, they're practicing their kung fu. <laughs> now the ice has gone, <laughs> and they shall strike. <laughs> all right, well, oncoming panda strike, uh, and, uh, and, and follow cats, because you never know what priceless treasures they might uncover. That's the lessons from this first segment. Uh, it's time for us to take a quick break, uh, but we'll be back uh, with a little bit uh, more, more silly news stories uh, after the break. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we are going to set a brief challenge for the break. So here's the challenge. Um, the first story after we come back will have the following headline. Dozens of blank to be excavated in Burma. So that's dozens of blank to be excavated in Burma. Uh, so if you think you, uh, if you think you can guess what the, uh, uh, what, what to fill the gap with, uh, then email in, uh, studio at camfm.co.uk. Uh, or if you're listening online, then there's that thing that says, uh, it's a web form and it will contact the studio. It does. So use that. Uh, but studio at camfm.co.uk works, uh, regardless. Uh, so get in touch, uh, and uh, fill, fill in the gap. The prize, if you successfully guess the Headline uh, before the second segment uh, is you get to assign me a pseudonym for the duration of the show. Uh, so s- send me a broadcastable pseudonym. Like if it's unbroadcastable, I'm not using it. Uh, <laughs> we'll just be referring to Chris's silence for the <laughs> remainder of the show, which could get confusing and doesn't make for particularly good radio. <laughs> but assuming that your that just your pseudonym is not is, is not. A, a recording of John Cage's Four Minutes Thirty Three, or something like that. Uh, there, then uh, I will adopt that moniker uh, for the rest of the show. So get in touch with your guesses. Uh, we'll be back very shortly uh, with a few more stories. Online, on air, and across Cambridge. Rise and shine. Your Cam FM breakfast. Hello, this is 97.2 Cam FM. Uh, you're listening to Burst the Bubble. Uh, it is not, in fact, breakfast time. Uh, if you've just woken up, go back to sleep. Uh, <laughs> I'm just nicking the breakfast music, because the breakfast music better than, is better than the other music. But they stuck the word breakfast on to try and stop me using it. That was futile. Now, uh, we've had a few people get in touch during the break. Uh, John, who's, who's been rattling at us on the email? Okay, so actually we got one just before the break. So before Chris sets his poser. Uh, more on that to come in a moment. But, uh, yes, so the first one we got was uh, correcting my uh, my belief that, in fact, the WWF would come over and beat you around the head um, with a cucumber. Um, we've been sent, uh, well, it's actually an image, so it's not particularly great for radio, but nonetheless it is confirmed that, in fact, it, it will be the other WWF, by which I mean the World Wrestling Federation, who will come around dressed as a panda and will hit you over the head with a fold-up chair. Um, <laughs> it's gracious of them to use a folding chair. Like yeah, the, the hardcore WWF bouts where they use like stern Georgian armchairs are very much more uh, more exciting fodder and very much more dangerous. Indeed. So uh, thank you to uh, Will for sending that in. Um, we have another 
but we also have two responses to Chris's conundrum. So, Chris, would you like to remind... Uh, uh, yesterday, it was a, a fill-in-the-blanks headline typey thing, uh, and the, uh, the, the headline uh, was uh, Dozens of Blank uh, to be Excavated in Burma. So we've had uh, we've had two guesses during that break. Um, one from Seth, who claims it is women. That is not true. Incorrect. <laughs> you do not get to choose Chris's pseudonym. Indeed. Uh, however, we do have a correct answer um, from a mysterious IP address with no name attached. Um, and that correct answer is... Spitfires. Spitfires. So, so, so good work, uh, 217.42 dot 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 dot. Uh, alas, uh, that, that will necessarily become my pseudonym. Uh, so hello, uh, I, I am DJ Netblock217, uh, and with me today is uh, is, is uh, John, make up, make up a, a relevant uh, IP routing related DJ name for yourself. Quick. <laughs> I really can't. <laughs> this, is, this is a request I've never had to answer before. And we'll never have to answer again. I'm not going to make it get into my skill set. You just <laughs> cannot get the staff. Okay, never mind that. All right. Uh, so, what about those Spitfires? A. Eh? Uh, so the headline turns out to be: dozens of Spitfire planes are to be excavated in Burma. Uh, John, what's going on with that? Yeah. So uh, obviously, the planes is quite important uh, to uh, distinguish it from the beer. Um, it, there hasn't been lots of bottles of beer uh, found in Burma, which have now been excavated. What, in fact. Um, uh, has happened was there's been lots of lobbying by this uh, chap David Cundall who uh, has signed a deal to recover the lost planes um, they obviously during uh, during the second world war there were quite a few of these planes flying over to Burma because there was a war on and there was a war on there they weren't just going on holiday well they might have been going on holiday I don't know um, what's certainly true is that there's quite a bit more than they thought so um the, the, the so they ended up with uh, more Spitfires than they really had anything to do with uh, at the very end of the war, uh, and they decided that the best thing to do with those is chuck them in the ground. Uh, it seems to me that their planes they're very mobile. You might as well go stick them in a car park somewhere. But it seems that no, they they went they went for the barium option, uh, and now they're digging them back up. They maybe thought they would be very stable foundations for things to like rugby grounds and that kind of thing. Well, True, no, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Does Burma play rugby? <laughs> I don't know. Well, they they they, sh- they, they surely play football because every, every nation in the world plays football. Uh, and in this case, this would be the optimist approach. I mean, the, the necropolis beneath the football ground means that if you fall through into it, then you're fit to be buried. Whereas in this case, you can score really the best manoeuvre possible in football, uh, which is that in which you unexpectedly come across a 1940 fighter plane and use that to complete your uh, uh, manoeuvre. What do you call that thing in football that you do where a group of people plan a thing together and then do that thing? A tactic, I would have thought. There you Formation. Go. Yes. <laughs> tactic. <laughs> I don't know anything about football. John doesn't know anything about IP routing. In many ways, we, we have our own disjoint skill set. <laughs> Yes. Um, well, I don't know. The IP routing... Was, no, actually, this is a, 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 an area we shouldn't really look at. Uh, <laughs> IP routing intersection with football. Um, <laughs> unless anybody of you, of you have any ideas, in which case, please do let us know. Um, anyway, uh, so yes, they originally had thought there would be about 20 to 36 of these. Um, but now they think there's going to be at least 60. Now, this apparently will represent a large increase in the global Spitfire population. Yeah. Do we know what the Spitfire population is? Um, so, there was originally 21,000 of these built, uh, but only 35 of them are left, or at least are left in a way that you can actually do anything with them, rather than bury them underground and build things on them. Huh. 
And presumably these ones are not going to be in very flyable condition at the moment, being as they are full of earth. But, yeah, okay, sure. Oh, but here is the plan. I mean, the plan is they want to get these out because, you know, because they were just there and then buried underneath. They figure that they'll still be in good condition. Uh, well, I say good condition, rather earthy, but you, uh, good enough to be able to restore back to some kind of working-ish order. Yeah, so long as they haven't been eaten by worms. So, or zombies. Or zombies. Um, or sandworms. Or, or cats. Or any of the other things. Uh, prehistoric panda remains. Um, <laughs> Turns out cats have been flying them around the catacombs. <laughs> yes, indeed. And that's why they've been so hard to track down. Uh, so, yes, Spitfires in Burma. Awesome. Alrighty, let's move on to our next transport related story. Okay, so we're going from. Uh, old vehicles that uh, there aren't very many of to new vehicles which there aren't very many of um, so this is the launch of uh, the new amphibious vehicle uh, called the Quadski Indeed, yes, the Quadski is a combination of a, um, a whatchamacallit, one of those things that is like two motorbikes that is stuck together. A quad bike. There we go, a quad bike. Uh, <laughs> in many years, it's like bicycle, quads, ah, yes. Also, the clue for Quadski is in the name. <laughs> I mean, it is pretty much what you'd expect. It's the cross between a quad bike and a jet ski. And a jet ski. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's not just, it's not just, there's like four of them and some Russian has got hold of it, <laughs> to wanting to be particularly stereotypical to <laughs> to American audiences. They've <laughs> just gone, oh, I've got this, the Quadski. <laughs> I am born with no limbs. It's a terrible situation. How will I make joke to American audience? That was a Russian accent, by the way. A Russian accent. <laughs> not to be confused with any other accent that Chris may or may not. <laughs> Sorry, that uh, DJ... <laughs> DJ217. DJ217. Slash 8. <laughs> Slash eight. But it's oh, it's network notation. Never mind. Never mind. Uh, right. Else is more stuff I don't understand. Anyway, the quad ski, as the name would suggest, is a combination of those two vehicles, the quad bike and the jet ski, and it has a, well, it has two modes. Uh, it is apparently always in jet ski mode, uh, but the wheels are retractable. Uh, so you, so it appears that entering the water is very easy. You pretty much just drive into a body of water, and it starts jet skiing it up on its own, and then you pull the wheels up, toggle. Uh, in order to stop dragging them around in the water pointlessly. Uh, exit from the water is a little bit more fraught, uh, because you have to deploy the wheels prior to hitting the land, otherwise you're going to hit the land like a jet ski, which is to say, killing all aboard. So, yeah, you yeah, probably also want to slow down a bit, I think. Um, but, uh, yes, because this thing does actually go uh, fairly fast. This is part of the reason why this is... Um, I mean, amphibious vehicles do exist, but at the moment they're mostly just kind of like buoyant quad bikes in the sort of fashion that Chris was just describing before the wheels retracted. Uh, these are actually supposed to be able to do uh, 45 miles per hour, both on land or on water. Which is not bad at all. I mean, it does cost $40,000, so you have to assess, like, what, what are your alternatives for getting about on water? Uh, for example, by driving a car that has a jet ski in the boot. Like, you know, that's that alternative number one. Hi hiring, um, what's-his-face who was really good at the Olympics? Thorpe? <laughs> the, the torpedo. Yeah, there we go. I hi think you're probably thinking of Michael him. Phelps, actually. <laughs> yeah, I probably, I probably am. Anyway, hi hi hire an Olympic swimmer to live in your boot uh, and, and have him drag you about. 
I think, yes, that could be an interesting one. Um, for one thing, there's only one Michael Phelps, and he's probably cost a lot more than $40,000. Um, for another you? thing, I'm kind of imagining if you want to use him in the same fashion, so part of the thing here is obviously you don't have to get out, get a jet ski, leave your car, or alternatively tow your car underwater, <laughs> get back, flush all the water out of it, get back in. Alternatively, don't flush all the water out of it, drive around and drown. Um, <laughs> n- not particularly great options. The idea being that, you, you know, if you're involved in a high-speed car chase, if you happen to be James Bond or something along these lines, you know, 40, 40k for a James Bond vehicle, not too bad. Um, yeah, the idea being that obviously you can just go straight in. Now, if you were to do this with Michael Phelps, it would have to be piggybacking on Michael Phelps. The car. <laughs> the car. <laughs> uh, Michael Phelps would have to be attached to the, well, not the undercarriage, but whatever you call the underside bit of the okay. car. You're going to have yeah. to pay him a lot more than 40k to do that. Alternatively, uh, well, you are just using... You'd need a snorkel. Yeah, and, and even then, he's swimming and he's towing your car, which has all the, uh, uh, the problems that I mentioned just now. So basically, your vehicle would have to be Michael Phelps. Um, <laughs> he's not going to be able to do 45 miles an hour on land. <laughs> He'll be good when you get in the water. But for a while, I'll just be like travelling on some kind of turtle <laughs> you could just have a turtle there are more turtles than there are michael phelps all right all right, all right. i'll upgrade my plan somewhat you know that guy in asterix uh the chief the uh yes i can't remember his he, name he had a name. silly pun name i think it was vital statistics but i'm not sure um and, uh, but anyway the, you know the chief with he had um four blokes carrying him around on a on a, on a shield he did that that is my upgrade that. to the plan. <laughs> that with four Olympians, so they can distribute the load somewhat, uh, and I can remain on the shield. You'd be better off with triathletes, I think, because triathletes are supposed to be fast both in land and on water, and also on a bike. So presumably, in fact, yeah. what you could do is you could put four triathletes on bikes with a shield, um, <laughs> propping up in some kind of, like, you know, tied to them sort of formation. So they're going to have to be quite good at formation riding. But anyway, they can work this out. They're being paid a lot of money for this. Well, they're not. They're being paid 40k. But, you know... So they will then cycle along, and then they'll get to the point at the end where they'll suddenly lob all the bikes onto the shield, and then they'll get in, and they'll swim, 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 with you still on the shield. <laughs> sort of sitting, looking really smug, presumably. <laughs> like, not going very fast, but but feeling pretty good about yeah. it. Also, the refueling is a lot cheaper, because you go to the co-op instead of, a, instead of a petrol station. It's true. So, I mean, you could actually pay them more than 40k, because you can be paying them effectively the petrol prices. You know, you... Yeah. Although you might have to feed them. That could be their petrol. Oh, yeah, no, I have to buy them all a cheese sandwich from time to time. A cheese sandwich. <laughs> I think uh, you probably want lots, of, lots and lots of carbs. <laughs> I imagine just ridiculous amounts of pasta. It's getting to the point where you could just build a boat out of pasta <laughs> and, and ride in that, one kind of giant tortellini shell or something. <laughs> I don't mean tortellini, I mean the shell ones. Shell pasta. <laughs> I just have to make sure that I never go in lakes that could be described as simmering. Otherwise, my boat will slowly soften. <laughs> That is true. But there aren't too many of those outside of, for example, Yellowstone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Note to yourself, do not go boating in Old Faithful in a pasta boat. Or indeed in any boat. In just, Old Faithful. Just, old <laughs> Faithful's a geezer. Yeah. For one thing, you'd be on land for a while, <laughs> going, I feel like a fool. And then you'd suddenly be a long way in the air going, I really hope that this stays here forever. <laughs> or goes down really, really slowly. <laughs> 
as long as it works like a cartoon, everything will be fine. <laughs> Up to the point where the water disappears and you remain in midair for about <laughs> ten seconds. <laughs> as long as I don't notice that it's gone away, I'll remain up there indefinitely. Yeah, presumably with like, like a little oar or something, <laughs> just over the side. <laughs> and then eventually I'll sort of go, hang on a minute, no splashing noises. Or, or made out of spaghetti. Go, oh, oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, or alternatively you could get a quad ski. Indeed. I think we've actually advocated the quad ski quite well in terms of... <laughs> it seems like a pretty good idea. Yep, the alternatives are pretty rubbish. If you've got 40k hanging around, grab a quad ski. If you haven't got 40k around, then you might want to consider our next story. I should have looked at what our next story was. You should not consider <laughs> our next story, Chris. Because <laughs> our next story is a bloke who... Let you should not consider our next story. Our next story turns out to be a bloke who nicked a car that could contained an 18-month-old child uh, and then swiftly unstole the car when he realised that what he had pinched was an obligation slash murder. <laughs> so <laughs> he quickly ditched the car and child, uh, both of whom were recovered in safe circumstances. So that's not a good money-making money money ploy. Do not pursue that as an alternative to the quad ski, even if you lack 40k. Indeed. Um, so yes, admittedly, when I first read this, I, I misread this as 18-year-old boy rather than 18-month-old boy. <laughs> the, the child was asleep, by the way, the whole time. So um, the child didn't uh, suffer any uh, un ill effects of the fact that suddenly some strange man got in the car and drove off with him. Um, and uh, similarly, the crook didn't uh, suddenly find that they had a witness, <laughs> which I suppose is a win-win situation in many instances. Well, but not a very articulate witness either way. I mean, at 18 months old, you know, the judge is going to be like, was oh, it this man? And the kid will be like, ah! It's like, oh, he pointed at the stenographer. <laughs> Arrest the stenographer. Was it this man? <laughs> Arrest the foreman of the jury. Well, not sure that well, 18 month olds could probably point, couldn't they? I'm pretty sure they, they can, can point. point. They can point and by about six months months They can go gah! They can go gah! Like a seagull. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the, the similarities between 18 month old children and seagulls are indeed uncanny. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's kind of an ascent of man thing growing up, you know, uh, like gradually working your way from, well, actually, yes, genuinely from a single-celled life form up the evolutionary tree. Uh, and at 18 months, uh, you're very much in the seagull stage. But, I mean, going back to my point, I saw this 18-month-old boy. I originally um, misread this 18-year-old boy. I can't necessarily decide which one would be the more reliable witness, actually. I mean... <laughs> an 18-year-old or an 18-month-old? An 18-year-old should normally be the most reliable witness, but it not what teenagers yeah. are like, right? <laughs> It'd be quite a philosophical poser for the judge, that's for sure, because they'd be sat there sort of going, hmm, on the one hand, one of my witnesses is capable of speaking English, and I have a reasonable idea that they've understood me. On the other hand... The child will not lie. The, yeah, the other, the child the other witness has, authority. has no concept of ego or the consequence of actions, and therefore has no incentive to act in any way whatsoever, apart from if I were to offer them food, <laughs> which I'm not doing. Indeed. Mm. Although that might be difficult to get them to respond if you have to give them food in order to make them act. <laughs> um, again, this is sounding a bit more like sort of trained animals. We Was it the stenographer? <laughs> Would you like a biscuit? Gah! Arrest the stenographer! We should really go uh, off this topic. Anyway, we have got another email. 
I just noticed it's, it's from Seth again um, who is basically trying to claim that she did in fact win this competition uh, you remember this competition from earlier where we got uh, you to try and fill in the blank with what had been found in Burma and Seth claimed it was women well apparently she seems to claim that uh, most women she comes across have a lot in common with Spitfires mm-hmm. nominally if nothing else and therefore has claimed moral victory well well done to you we cannot deny you your moral victory it has been um, I would say well deserved but <laughs> well argued also hang on a minute here the word nominally means that they have the same name like the claim that is being made here is that most of the women she has met have been named Spitfire in which case she's been hanging about in some very specialised circumstances you don't know it's not true though true 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 that yeah indeed speaking of that challenge I think it's time for round two don't you <laughs> cue up our first story uh, for segment three uh, and we'll we'll set that same challenge one more time obviously the prize this time will be naming John so here we go uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I chose the most awkward one for you to no, try no, this challenge the, 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 this is a, I'd, I'd be interested to know if anyone can guess this uh, so the headline is Bradley Wiggins's Olympic Blank up for auction. So, once again, that's Bradley Wiggins's Olympic Blank is up for auction. So, if you can guess what that might be, uh, send, us in your resp- uh, send us in your guesses and a pseudonym that you would like to assign to John uh, for the rest of the show, which isn't very much, but nonetheless, you can have 15 minutes worth of fame and or making John say something silly. Well, making you say something silly, presumably. Well, yes. Net 217. E- either or, yes. Well, I, I, I proudly adopt Net 217. I mean, the, the European network, I believe. Right, now then. Uh, so, we'll, we'll take that brief uh, musical break. Uh, get your guesses coming in, studio at camfm.co.uk, or if you're listening uh, online, you'll see the web form that also mails the studio in the same fashion. So, get in touch, uh, and we'll be back very shortly with the answers. On air, online, and across Cambridge. Your station, your CamFM. This is 97.2 CamFM, and you're listening to Burst the Bubble, uh, the show about all the silly news stories that have gone on in the past week. Uh, now, just before the break, uh, we set you our second uh, headline challenge. Uh, the challenge was, Bradley Wiggins' Olympic blank is up for auction. Uh, and, alas, nobody got the correct answer this time around. Uh, so, uh, but uh, we, we had a, a guest from, uh, from Saf who says uh, that his Olympic ring uh, is, uh, is up for auction. Uh, alas, no, they did not award one of the Olympic w- rings uh, to Wiggins. Uh, though so I'm curious to know which one he would take away. Yellow. Um, <laughs> why yellow, yellow jersey? Come on. Uh, There's got to be the right uh, one. Most cunning. Yeah. Like, would, would, they get, would, the Olympic, would the IOC get a new yellow ring? Or would they be forced to look a bit like Audi for the rest, <laughs> the rest of uh, Olympic history? No, basically, basically uh, Wiggins would get custody of the yellow ring. But the yellow ring, I mean, because like, they're all interlocked. So you can't just Ooh, take you one can't out. Just ta- yeah, that's so true. therefore he would basically have to be. He'd have to, he'd have the yellow ring, and the Olympic logo would just become Bradley Wiggins in a yellow ring with the other four, four around it, around <laughs> him. And so it would basically just be like Bradley Wiggins would be uh, added on to the Olympic logo. Okay, yeah. Just every now and then, uh, like the chief of the IOC would show up at his house and go, "Oh, you're treating the blue ring right. <laughs> remember that's not yours." Attempting to hula hoop. I'm trying to remember which one the uh, I might have. To 
to quickly check which one the yellow ring is because I'm not entirely sure whether it's the central one. You'd hope for one. balance's sake it was the central one. Central one. Yeah, you don't you don't want to own only one of the end rings. Okay. Alas, it is one of the bottom row. It is ring two of five. So so Wiggins would be faced with something of a balance problem. You're not allowed, obviously, to trim the rest of the rings when you when you've been when you've been given that one. Indeed, and they would make because uh, I mean, if I was given an Olympic ring, the first thing I'd want to do was try and hula hoop with it, you know, because it's basically mm, yeah. a giant hula hoop. Uh, well, I assume it's giant. I think they're quite large. Yeah, yeah. And you and you want an equal, you want an even centre of gravity for effective hula hooping. So it would be incredibly difficult. Um, plus, also, it would presumably mean that just there was one end going around destroying whatever room you happen to be in. Mm, yeah. <laughs> As the old saying goes, there's room enough in here to swing a full set of Olympic rings. <laughs> no, uh, you, you got it wrong. There's, there's room enough in here to hula hoop a full set of Olympic <laughs> rings, starting at the second of five. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the foot. Nobody really how uses that quote that sunny day. The, any day. <laughs> so Shen, the, the new hall. How big is it? It's a one of five. <laughs> anyway, by this point, you're probably dying to know what Bradley Wiggins is. Oh yeah, that's Olympic right. Do-nick. Yeah, he, he put a thing up to auction, and it turns out that thing that he put up to auction was his throne. Yes, it was that throne that he sat on uh, after he had achieved his uh, Olympic. Was it his double gold, or just his, was it his first gold medal? I believe it was the road race in any in any case. I can't remember. It was the time trial. It was the time trial. Ah, yes. Uh, and uh, when he'd been awarded his medal and was posing for photographs, uh, he had himself a throne. Uh, and that throne has been put up for auction. You didn't watch the Olympics, did you? I did watch the Olympics, <laughs> yes. No, I mean, I, yeah, no, I usually have a great aversion to sport. But actually, the Olympics I really like. Because I know that it's kind of a one-off thing. Okay, so there are several inaccuracies in what you've just said. <laughs> the first one of which is he did not put the throne up. And Bradley Wiggins does not own this throne. He never did own this throne. Okay. He did not decide to bring along a throne just in case he won the time trial and then and then sit in it for, for pictures. Because really? that would make him seem like a gigantic... Um, yes. <laughs> Word you can say on the radio. Indeed. So... Um, Yes, it's not his throne. Uh, in fact, the reason of the thrones was there were three. There was one golden throne, there was one silver throne, and there was one bronze throne. Uh, you see where we're going with this. Yeah, okay. And but only for that event. Ah, because the way the time trial works, you see, is that, uh, obviously, you do it one at a time. Oh, so the guy who went first, did he go through the line and go, yeah, 17 minutes at an even walking pace. <laughs> Gonna sit in the golden throne until the, oh, everybody's <laughs> overtaken me. Something along those lines. So indeed, it's not even uh, just strictly speaking Bradley Wiggins' throne. It's merely a throne that he sat in for part of the time trial. Uh, uh, the bit okay. after he'd finished, and then the bit at the end. So, uh, in fact, there are several people sat in this, in this, uh, on this throne. I wish I could remember I, any of them now. I've clearly been massively misled about the purpose of this throne. When I saw it on TV, I'd assumed that that was his little publicity gimmick, and or that the Queen was sitting on top of a pile of reams of A4 paper, sort of going, Grrr, Wiggins! As presumably he'd snuck in in the night and pilfered the throne uh, for the purposes <laughs> of that little stunt. There is indeed only one throne in this country, and it is owned <laughs> by the Queen. Whereas and in <laughs> this case, she was obviously sat there going, Wiggins? Also, where did you find those other two? <laughs> Footman, locate the... Two places where a throne used to be. Look for sort of shadows and dust, that kind of thing. Curses of my spare thrones! <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> now I'm having to sit on this hard wooden chair when I happen to be in the green drawing room. Yes, I can no longer sit on that bronze throne that I have in case the country should be subjugated. Therefore, I should be relegated to the silver throne, and then that country which subjugated us should in turn be subjugated. <laughs> because all possible things in this fashion, all diplomatic relations work, in fact, very much like the Olympics. Mm, indeed. If you get subjugated three times, it's not a throne at all. It's just a spike. <laughs> indeed. So, anyway, uh, if you want to buy Bradley Wiggins's throne, it will... Uh, well, at the moment, they're estimating that it will be ten to £15,000. So cheaper than a Quadski. Cheaper than a Quadski, although the upper limit's not that much cheaper than a Quadski. True. But, you know, you, you, could, you could have yourself two of the three thrones uh, which you will struggle to occupy. Um, note that Bradley Wiggins' throne does not do 45 miles per hour in water. Or on land. <laughs> Unless you have four guys carrying it. But on the plus side, it does not sink on land. Um, unless it happens to be under a necropolis. I meant over a necropolis, <laughs> not under a necropolis. Being under one is a very poor situation as well. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I recommend neither. Excellent. Moving on. With keeping up with uh, sports people, or at least some definition of sports people. Um, this is a story, actually, that probably quite a lot of you have already heard about. Um, it's... It's, it refers to Felix Baumgartner, ah, who yes. has become a, uh, a household name or something approximating a household name uh, after he jumped from the edge of space uh, last week. In fact, if you were listening last week, you may remember that we were talking about him doing it before he actually did it. So I would say you heard it here first. It's possible you did. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Mr. Baumgartner raised an interesting question for me, uh, which was that... So his name is Baumgartner, uh, and that's, that's German for basically tree gardener, uh, and essentially forester, right? Uh, like, his surname clearly means a person who maintains a forest, keeps a forest, you know, something like that. The, the forester, that's a perfectly sensible name. Now, this came to my mind because a few years ago or so, uh, Jerry Springer was hosting Heaven news for you and they were making a lot of fun of a white house press person um whose name was randy bumgardner now it I, like, at the time i thought good god what cruel parents to have adopted such a surname and this this guy's surname makes it clear what has happened they have anglicized baumgartner the thing about that is they've anglicized it half the way by uh, one and uh, one end is baumgartner sounds like a perfectly sensible thing to be called at the other end is forrester perfectly sensible surname lots of people have done just fine with the surname forrester in the middle when you anglicize half of it and then don't bother with the rest of it, you end up with Bumgardner, and you end up getting made fun of by Jerry Springer. Why? Why would you do this to yourself? <laughs> I literally have no idea. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's really by the by. Uh, the, the, the point of the story is that, is that Mr. Baumgartner did his thing, uh, and did his thing quite successfully, uh, and uh, has decided to retire from the daredevil business uh, before he uh, successfully dies, uh, and has is, is decided to take a retirement flying helicopters. Indeed. Or fighting fires and rescuing people. You know, nothing dangerous, he says here, basically. As long as it would happen on Thunderbirds, he'll do it. Indeed. Um, <laughs> he'll get dispatched to a space station, and there'll be some guys <laughs> flying into the sun, and he'll be like, no, don't fly into the sun! <laughs> yes, I thought That's how he talks. successfully died, as if that was the mission of all of his things. <laughs> uh, anyway, before we go, one last thing. If you uh, happen to be in Milan, then you can get a free burger. 
Indeed, yes. Uh, there was a McDonald's that was set up in one of the high fashion districts of Milan, uh, but the high fashion types were not terribly keen on the fact that it sort of went very expensive dresses, very expensive dresses, extraordinary perfumes, McDonald's, ex- very expensive dresses. So, you know. Yes. They figured they would be hungry in between looking at you know, all that kind of fashion shopping. Not and just uh, hungry, but hungry and cheap. <laughs> yes, indeed. After you've blown all your cash at the neighbouring store, presumably. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, it's rather than the case of, I've already spent this much, I might as well spend another however much on getting some food they think that it'll actually be I can't possibly eat unless it'll only cost me 99 euro cents <laughs> um, so uh, anyway this the, 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 the uh, McDonald's had to close down to be able to take it over by Prada and as a result they gave away lots of uh, Big Macs and it did much better than it had done previously probably getting a lot of new people to the district I should imagine <laughs> <laughs> although I can't imagine many of them hung around to do business mm, no <laughs> I'll travel an hour to get myself a free burger and maybe pick up a Prada hamburger on my way home alrighty I think that's all we've got time for this week uh, we'll be back with more Burst the Bubble this time next week uh, when regular host Michael Contario will have returned from wherever it is that he is beyond the grave will have returned from beyond that grave beyond the necropolis <laughs> <laughs> somewhere around the region of rugby <laughs> he will have returned uh, from wherever it is that he dwells when he's not doing this show uh, and he'll be back with you once again uh, from four o'clock this time next week until then uh, it's goodbye from me Chris Moten uh, you mean net one two one seven? Uh, yeah, I, I, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, and it's goodbye from me, John Nelson. We'll see you next week. <laughs>